All right, let's finish this series off today. Mark chapter 4, verse 23 is our text verse, and it says, If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening. Everybody shout, be listening. Be listening. Come on, you didn't shout. Everybody shout, be listening. be listening. Let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. I've been telling you this, and I'm going to keep saying it today as well. It is imperative in the times that we live today to learn how to recognize God's voice when he's speaking to us. And every single one of us at one time or another, we have heard God's voice, or we've, we've sensed God talking to us. We sense his direction for our lives. And most times, if we have not yet been taught how to know when God is talking to us, we say something like this, something told me. Right? Something told me I should have did that. Something told me I should have gone there. Or something told me I shouldn't have gone to that party. I should have stayed home. And most of the times when we say that, it's because God is tugging at our heart. He's trying to give us the direction that we need so we can walk in the victory that God intends for us to walk in. And literally when we say something told me, most times it's really the Holy Spirit who's the one that's leading us and guiding us into all truth. Here's a quote for you. God is not mysterious. In fact, he's obligated to communicate his will to us because we cannot be held accountable for fulfilling his will if he's unwilling to share his will. Come on, that makes good sense, man. I mean, many of you, if, you, if you've gone to church or grown up in church like I did, I, I remember growing up in church and I used to hear this, the Lord works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. And I did not hear this, you never know what the Lord may do. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says maybe. Truth of the matter is, God is not mysterious. In fact, it would be unfair for God to be mysterious. Because one day, those of us, one day, those of us that have not accepted Jesus, we're going to have to stand before God, and he's going to look in this book to see if our name is in that book, if we've said yes to Jesus. Because when you say yes to Jesus, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. For those that haven't said yes to Jesus, they're going to stand before God. He's going to look in this book and find that their name is not there, and they're going to be banished to eternity in hell forever. But for those of us that have said yes to Jesus, we're going to have stand before what's called a white throne judgment. We're going to stand before God, and God is going to judge us not on our past sins. He's going to judge us on the works that we've done that fulfill the purpose he has for our lives. And that's how we're going to determine which rewards you get, how, what kind of a crown you're going to get in heaven. When I watch this, if God is going to judge us on whether or not we did what he called us to do, how many know this? He's got to tell us what he wants us to do. He can't hold us accountable for doing something that he was so mysterious about and wouldn't even tell us what it was. So God is not mysterious, but what happens is most times we don't know how to know when he's talking to us or we don't slow down long enough to listen when he is talking to us. Shout amen, somebody. That's why I gave you the last two weeks seven different keys to how to fine-tune your hearing. If you weren't here, I'm going to encourage you to go to our website, weareimpact.com, or download that app and go back and listen to those messages because it will help you to understand how to tune your ear to recognize God. Today, to wrap this up, though, I want to spend my time today talking about what we call the inward witness. The inward witness. Now, there are four different ways in which we can discern God's will. One way, and the main way, is to read what is explicitly written to us in the Bible. Because everything that God has written in the Bible is God's will for us. In fact, say it out loud. Say the Bible. the Bible. Come on, say it like me. The Bible, the Bible. is God, God speaking to me. Now say it like me. The Bible, the Bible. is God, God speaking to me. Now tell your neighbor. Say hello, neighbor. Hello, neighbor. Tell them the Bible, the Bible. is God, God speaking to you. Speaking to you. Now look the other way. Tell your second choice. Say hello, second choice. 
<laughs> say the Bible is God speaking to you too. Now say this to them. Say, go ahead and listen to God. Amen. Well, now the main reason that we can know God's will is just by reading what he said in the Bible. He will never tell us something that differs from what he already wrote to us. So if an angel shows up in your bedroom in the middle of the night, he's in the corner, and he says, Teresa. That sounds like a ghost. That's not an angel. <laughs> but if an angel shows up, whatever they say and how they sound, whatever that angel says, watch this. If it doesn't line up with what God has written in the Bible, that wasn't God. Watch it. If somebody prophesies over you. And, and they are called pastor or bishop or apostle or, or whatever, evangelist, and they prophesy something over your life, but it doesn't agree with what God has written in the Bible. Can I tell you this? They could be a really nice person and still be really wrong. The Bible is our safeguard, amen? The first way we discern his will. The second way is that God can speak to us, I told you before, in an audible voice where your actual ears can hear the voice of God. It's very rare. It's not how he communicates most times. But it is still possible. The third way is that God can speak to us via what we call the inward voice in our hearts. And we've got to continually fine-tune our hearing, like I said last week, to recognize when God is actually speaking to us, saying, this is what I want you to do. And then the fourth way that we're going to talk about today is that we learn to follow what we call the inward witness. And we minimize all the outside influences and we allow the peace of God to settle on the right choice. This is the job. This is the house. This is the direction we go. And for most decisions in our lives, it is the inward witness that we've got to trust to guide us along our way. Amen. Let me read to you a verse that's going to help set the tone for this. Proverbs 20, verse 27. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can look on the screens. They'll put all the verses on the screen. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp, the King James Version says, the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. The spirit of a man, I want you to catch this, is the lamp or the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. So in other words, what the scripture is saying here is that man's spirit is referred to as God's lamp. Remember, we've taught you this, that man is a tripart being. You are a spirit being, not a, not, not a body. This body is not the real you. That's why when this body gives out, the body goes into a grave, but you still keep existing. Your life is not over when this body gives out. Can I just tell you, everybody's going to live forever. Everybody. The only question is, will it be smoking or non-smoking? That's it. We're going we're gonna to all live forever. <laughs> hmm? So this body is not the real you. Your soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions, that's not the real you. Those are your possessions. You have a soul. You have a mind. You have a will. You have emotions. But the real you is the spiritual being that lives inside that body. Now watch this. So, so the Bible says that man's spirit is referred to as God's lamp. Say this out loud. Say, my spirit, my spirit is God's lamp. God's Come on, say it like me. My spirit, my spirit is God's lamp. Now, hang on to that thought because I want to read a verse to you in Psalm 18. It's going to tie it together. My spirit is God's lamp. Psalm 18, verse 28 says, For you, Lord, will light my lamp. Well, now, we know this man's spirit is God's lamp, so we could say, Lord, you will light my spirit. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. So what is God saying? What he's promising is that he will enlighten us when we sit in darkness 
And when he's enlightening us, he's illuminating us, he's giving us clarity, he's giving us direction, he says he's going to light or illuminate our lamp, which is our spirit. Which means when God is going to speak to us, talk to us, give us direction, he's going to give us direction via our spirit, not our mind, will, emotions, or our body. Come on, shout amen, somebody. So, so it's kind of like recognizing that man's spirit is God's lantern. Man's spirit is God's lamp. Man's spirit is God's candle. And there are many times when we're trying to make a decision about something that we can't go to the Bible and find a scripture. We're trying to decide, do I put my kid in this school or that school? How many know it makes a difference which school you put your kid in? We're trying to decide, do I buy this house or do I buy that house? How many know it makes a difference which house we buy? We're trying to make a decision. Come on, do I marry this guy or this other guy? How many know it makes a difference what guy you marry? When I watch this, when we are sitting in darkness, that was smooth, wasn't it? (laughs) And we're trying to figure out the will of God. And we're trying to stumble through. Well, most times when we're in darkness, we don't take the time to really talk to God and hear what he's got to say. Most times we look around us to see, well, which which one makes the most sense to me? Which way is going to be the most advantageous to me? Which was going to give, us, give me the most money? But what God says when you sit in darkness, what he says is that he will light your spirit. He will illuminate your spirit. He will lighten you up on the inside, which means he didn't say, I will illuminate your mind, your intellect. He didn't say, I will illuminate your flesh and make you feel something in your body. He said, well, when I'm talking to you, watch this, I will illuminate your spirit which means I'll lighten you up on the inside. I will speak to you in your heart to give you clarity, give you wisdom, give you direction, give you insight. And if you do what he says to do, ultimately things will work out for your good. Shout amen, somebody. I said shout amen, somebody. What I hear it is, God wants to light our spirit, but for the most part, here here it is, when, when God is attempting to get a message to us, he doesn't do it through our body or our soul, He communicates spirit to spirit. See, God is a spirit, and when he's trying to get a message to us, he communicates spirit to spirit. Now, here's the problem. Most Christians erroneously look to outward circumstances to try to figure out what they should do instead of looking to the inward witness. So I want to spend some time. I want to give you five wrong ways that people try to get their answers. When people are trying to figure out, should I take this job? When people are trying to decide, you know, is this the right school? Is this the right house? Let me give you five ways that people tend to make that decision that are the wrong way because they're looking for an answer on the outside instead of the inside. Number one is what we call a fleece. A fleece. And we don't usually call it a fleece, but it is. And I'm going to explain what a fleece is. Over in the book of Judges, chapter 6, there's a guy by the name of Gideon. And Gideon is a military leader. Gideon is a judge, and Gideon is a prophet. And he's been complaining to God because he's, he's been reading all the stories about how God opened the Red Sea and did all these miracles. And he comes to God. He's like, well, God, where are all the miracles now, man? We're not seeing any miracles. And this, this group of people called the Midianites are attacking Israel on the verge of conquering Israel. And Gideon is crying out to God saying, Lord, what are you going to do about this? Be careful when you start complaining to God about some problem in your society because he might end up calling you to be the answer. So God says to Gideon, I've made you a mighty man of valor. I'm going to send you to be the one to help deliver Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon's like, no, that ain't what I was talking about. (laughs) And he's like, how do I know, God, that you're really going to be with me? 
And so he asked God for a sign. Now, over in the New Testament, Jesus says this. He says a wicked and perverse generation is what's always looking for a sign. But because God recognized, why says that Gideon does not have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him like you have on the inside of you if you're born again, God has to accommodate him. So what God does is he starts off, and there's an angel there, and, and, and the angel of the Lord consumes the meat and the bread that was sitting on this rock. And Gideon is like, that was cute, but that's not confirmation enough. <laughs> so what Gideon says is, this is what I want you to do, God. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, normally there's dew over all the grass. He said, but I'm going to take this fleece of wool, like a blanket. I'm going to take this blanket. I'm going to lay this fleece blanket out on the ground. And when I wake up in the morning, if it's really you talking to me, then I want there to be dew on this blanket, but no dew on the rest of the ground. Wakes up the next morning, there's dew on the blanket, no dew on the rest of the ground. Then he's like, okay, that's cute too, God, but I ain't sure if that's it. He says, I need one more sign. He said, tomorrow when I wake up, I want there to be dew on all of the ground, but no dew on this blanket. He wakes up the next morning, the whole ground is covered with dew, but the blanket is dry as a bone. What was God doing? God was giving him confirmation. You know how we are. We need confirmation anytime God is asking us to do something. If God tells us he wants to give us some money, we don't need no confirmation about that, God. (laughs) But he needs confirmation. And the reason why God was willing to work with him, asking for a sign after a sign after a sign, is because he did not have the Holy Spirit. So he didn't have the ability, watch this, to trust the inward witness like we do. But here today, watch this, God will not lead us by fleeces. He will not lead us by doing little tests. And sometimes we tend to do that. When we're applying for this job, we haven't slowed down enough to ask God if it's really his will. And part of the reason why so many Christians struggle with feeling like their prayers aren't being answered is because we ask God for a lot of stuff that we don't know if it's his will up front. See, think about it for a moment. If if I say to Sarah, Sarah's on this front row. If I say to Sarah, the Lord just put on my heart, I want to bless you with $200. She'd probably say hallelujah like somebody just said hallelujah. When I watch this, when I, if a couple of days go by and I haven't remembered to, to give her that, if she comes and says, well, well BD, uh, you still going to give me the two bones you said you're going to give me? Well, watch this. It'd be, it'd be easy for her to come to ask me for the $200. Why? Because I've already told her it's my will to give her the $200. Hmm? You see the difference in confidence? 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And since we know that he hears us, we know that we have right now whatever petitions we asked him of. Why? See, we can pray to God with confidence when we know up front that something is his will. When I, if she wasn't sure if I have $200 or if she wasn't sure if I was willing to give her $200, she might come with a little bit more trepidation. She might not come as confidently, but if I told her up front, hey, I want to give you this 200 bucks for your trip, then it's the easiest thing in the world to come and ask somebody that you know loves you to give you what they said was their will. When there's so many times that we pray and ask God for stuff that we don't really know if it's his will or not, and we're trying to figure it out, what we end up doing is we end up putting out a fleece. We say stuff like this, God, if you want me to have this job, then let them offer me 30% more than what I'm making right now. And we let that be the problem. Or, or we say something like that. A lady say something like this. God, if he's the right man for me, when I meet his mama to let her have some French and Indian weave all mixed in together in her hair. We put a, we, we put a fleece out in front of God. Here, here's the problem with a fleece. 
The problem with putting a fleece out before God, Lord, if, if, you, if, if you want me to have this, then make that light change three times before I get up to it. The problem with that is that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the God of this world. So small case, G, read it for yourself. Satan is the God of this world because the Bible calls Satan the God of this world. If we depend on external circumstances to determine if it's the will of God or not, we could end up being manipulated by the devil to make us do stuff that ends up not being the will of God. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. So we cannot rely on fleeces. Number two thing that people tend to rely on is our own soul. Our own soul. We cannot rely on our soul. We cannot rely on our mind, our will, or our emotions, which means we cannot just ask ourselves, what do I think? That's why don't, don't stop running around asking my, everybody around you, like, what do you think about it? What do, what do you think about this? What do you think I should do? Now, you, you, heard, you heard the offer. You see what they offer me. What do you think I should do? It really doesn't matter what we think because God's not illuminating our intellect. When he's trying, because at the end of the day, right, why well, says, aren't we trying to feel, uh, figure out the will of God? At the end of the day, I want to pick the job that's the right one for, that God has given me. Because why well, says, the one that God has given me is going to be the safest job. It's going to be the job, why well, says, that's best for my mental health. It may or may not be the job that pays the most. Because God never intends for that job to be looked at as my source anyway. He wants that job to be a resource. So when God is trying to tell me what his will is, he didn't promise to illuminate my intellect, which means it is great to get education, and we should pursue education, but never get so educated that God can't lead you anymore. He's not illuminating our mind. He's not illuminating our will, which means there are some things God will tell you to do that you may not want to do in the natural. There's a lot of things I'm walking in today that at first glance, I didn't want to do that, God. I didn't want to open up other churches. I didn't. I wanted to have this one church here in Jacksonville, put all my eggs in this basket, preach right here, and that's it. One Sunday night, I was up preaching when we first started this church. And when I got done, I, I said, and when we get finished, we're gonna, they're going to say about them that these are the same people that have turned this world upside down, and they're going to plant churches in this city, and that city, and this city. I named off all these different cities we're going to put churches in. And when the service was over, my team came and told me. I said, I didn't say that. <laughs> and then they had, to go, they had to go and get this thing back in the day that we called a cassette tape. <laughs> I know some of you children don't know what I'm talking about, but before you could just <laughs> listen to music out of nowhere like you do today, we had these cassette tapes. I went back and played the tape, and sure enough, I said all these cities. I didn't even want to do that. But sometimes when God is showing you his will, his will is different than what your own personal desire may happen to be. When God promises to illuminate us, he didn't promise to illuminate our feelings. So just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not the will of God. And part of the problem in our society today is we make too many decisions based on our feelings. Come on. I heard Joyce Meyer say years ago, feelings have been nominated as a Christian's number one enemy. Because so many Christians make decisions based on how they feel at any given moment. People leave good churches because they get their feelings hurt. People walk away from good relationships because they don't feel it anymore. People walk away because I don't feel like I'm in love with you. Love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. Come on. Feelings can come and go. Feelings can come and go. But what we have to do is recognize when God is leading us, he's not leading us by our mind, our will, our emotions. He's leading us by our spirit. Psalm number one, verse one. You know this. 
It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the what? Come on, who walks not in the counsel of the what? The Bible says you're blessed if you don't walk in ungodly counsel. The Bible says you're blessed if you don't let, watch this, ungodly influences tell you what to do. I heard Joyce Meyer say this too. She said, your feelings, your mind, your will, and your emotions can be some of the most ungodly people you've ever met in your life. Hmm? Mind, will, and emotions, the soul, can be some of the most ungodly advice you've ever gotten in your life. Which is why we got to slow down enough to allow God to illuminate our spirit. That's why we have to also learn how to pray until we quiet our soul. It's one of the benefits of praying in the spirit, what we call praying in other tongues, praying in a heavenly language. And it's not for somebody that's super spiritual. The day you get born again, you're a candidate to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and receive your heavenly prayer language and pray in other tongues or pray in the spirit. In fact, I, I highly recommend and, 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 and advise you, counsel you, that if you're a believer, it is a gift that God has given to the body of Christ. And today, you can receive today. I mean, at the end of the service, we'll have prayer team members up here. They, they're not going to try to teach you how to pray in tongues. They're going to show you a few things from the scripture, pray over you, and we have no doubt you can receive today because God wants you to have this gift. How many know any gift somebody that loves you gives, you want to receive that gift? What do I say? About 85% of the praying that I do is in other tongues. I pray in English for the things I know to pray for. I pray for all of you every day. I pray for my family. I pray for the world and our leaders, and et cetera. But there's a point to where I've done everything I know to do in English, but there's still more to be prayed for. And what I end up doing is I pray in the Spirit. And what happens when you pray in the Spirit is that you calm your emotions down. You quiet your mind down. Watch this. You even quiet your will down. And you can get to the place watch this, where it becomes crystal clear. This is God's choice right here. And what happens when I end up doing what God tells me to do consistently, I end up going from glory to glory to glory instead of from glory to mess up to glory to rebound, glory to fix up a mess. And what God wants to do is he wants to lead you into green pastures. Come on, somebody. He wants to lead you beside some still waters, but it requires us listening to him. That's also one of the reasons why fasting is important. We do a, 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 a church fast, a corporate fast at the beginning of every year in January. But even beyond the corporate fast we do at the beginning of the year, it's important just live a, live a fasted life. Every now and then, you ought to just pick out a day where you may just decide, I'm not going to eat until 6 p.m. Maybe you just drink water or you drink some juice or a smoothie. And I can tell you what's going to happen. Your body's going to scream. Hunger pains, you're going to see McDonald's commercials. It's going to, the fries are going to be leaping out the screen at you. Trying to smack you upside your head. But guess what happens when you tell your body, no, you cannot have what you want. You tell your soul, no, 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 no. You will eat when I tell you you can eat. Guess what happens? Come on, your spirit gets stronger. Come on, man. Your spirit gets stronger. Your soul gets weaker. And now your spirit is more ready to listen to what God has to say. You ought to shout like you believe that today. That's good. Here's the third way that people try to figure out the will of God, which they shouldn't. They go based on open or closed doors. Open or closed doors. Lord, if this is your will, open the door for me to buy this house. Lord, if this is you, let that loan go through. Just because the door is open or closed doesn't mean it's the will of God. See, the problem with the open or closed door syndrome is the same as the fleece. 
If we use external verification, then we open ourselves up to being misled by the enemy. Here's a quote for you. Open or closed doors are never proof of something being God's will or not. I'll prove it to you in a second. But if you just think about this, in, in the life of the Apostle Paul, Paul was constantly facing some closed doors. He was, he was constantly facing closed doors. He was constantly you know, dealing with a situation where he'd be in one city preaching the gospel, and the Jewish folks would get mad at him. They'd come trying to kill him. He'd have to escape out of a window into a basket and run for his life. One occasion, they got so mad at him, they stoned him, and they thought he was dead, and he got back up and took off and ran for his life. Everywhere he went, every city he went into, he was constantly dealing with closed doors. So if a closed door means it's not the will of God, that means Paul was never in the will of God. In fact, listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, are they Christ's servants? I sound like a madman, but I am a better servant than they are. He said, I've worked much harder. I have been in prison more times. I have been whipped much more, and I have been near death more often. He said, five times I, would get, I was given the 39 lashes by the Jews. Three times I was whipped by the Romans, and one time I was stoned. <laughs> he said, I have been in three shipwrecks, and one time I spent 24 hours in the water. He said, in my many travels, I have been in danger from floods and from robbers, in danger from my own people and from the Gentiles. There have been dangers in the city, dangers in the wilds, dangers on the high seas, dangers from fake friends. Hmm? There has been work and toil. He said, many times I have gone without sleep. I have been hungry and thirsty. I have been without enough food, shelter, or clothing. Paul was constantly dealing with closed doors. In fact, on several occasions, he, the, the people he was writing to, he said, pray for me that a door will open up. In other words, I'm trying to go preach somewhere. They won't let me in right now. But I know God wants me to go, so pray for an open door of utterance so I'll be able to go and preach the gospel. What am I saying? Just because the door is closed today don't mean it's not the will of God. I've had several doors slammed in my face where the, where the enemy and people have said there's no way it's going to happen. This door was closed. The building you're sitting in right now was a closed door at one point. We bought this building and for several years could not, couldn't figure out what's the right pathway to get us in this building. And no matter what we tried, it just wasn't working. And I told you a story, I used to drive past this building, going to our other building, going to our offices, and I felt like a failure looking over here at this building, this big white building sitting over here that I bought as a pastor, and I can't figure out what, what, what is God trying to say. I know he's saying something, I can't figure it out. And one day in prayer, man, God just gave it to me clear as day, the pathway to get in. What am I saying? Just because the door is closed today don't mean God's not getting ready to open that mug for you. If I, if I use that theory, I would walk by here and say, oh, well, the door is closed. It must not be the will of God for us to be in that building. No, 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 no. I said, we're, gonna, we're, we're going to get in the building. How are you going to do it? I have no earthly idea. But we're going to get in the building, and guess what? We're in the building. <laughs> and I don't know. Hey, not only are we in the building, we're building out the rest of the building. Come on, say amen, somebody. Not only are we building out the rest of the building, I'm believing God one day we're going to buy this whole mall and transform this whole place for the glory of God. Just because the door is closed today don't mean God won't kick it open in due time, man. And part of the problem is you got to stop giving up so easily. Just because they say no today doesn't mean that God can't come back with a yes tomorrow. 
Just because your kid is acting a nut today don't mean they won't preach the gospel one day. Don't mean that they won't one day fulfill the purpose that God has for their life. Just because the answer is no today doesn't mean it won't be yes one day. Pray and ask God, is it his will? If God says it's his will, you persist in prayer and let God figure out how to get it open. Why well, says, just because the door is open doesn't mean that's the will of God either. Over in Luke chapter 4, and you can read in, Mark, in Matthew 4 too, same, same, same story. Jesus had just been fasting for 40 days. He comes back and he's tempted by the devil. The devil says this, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And the Bible says Jesus said, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the next thing the devil says in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, the devil took him up and showed him in a second, in a flash of time, all the kingdoms of the world. And this is what the devil said. He said, I will give you all this power, and I'll give you all this wealth. It has been handed over to me, and I can give it to anybody I choose to give it to. He said, all this will be yours then if you just bow down and worship me. Well, I said, that's an open door. It's a wide open door. It's an open door, watch this, to more power, more fame, more money. But it clearly wasn't God. Come on, which is why just because the door is open doesn't mean that you're supposed to go through it. Remember years ago, April and I had decided that, that we we're going to build this house. And we had gone and, and put a deposit down in this house, like 20 grand. Now, 20 grand may not be a lot of money. You use a whole lot of money to us. Especially at that time. We had put down $20,000 deposit on this house, and we're getting ready to build this house. You know, I'm trying to be a good husband, want to give her this house that she wanted. And, and the day after we signed the paperwork, the next day I woke up, and I thought it was just buyer's regret. You know how you have that, oh, did I make the right decision? But I had a check in my heart like, ooh, that was the wrong move to make. And so I wasn't about to go to her and say, we're not going to build your house because, you know, that's, that's a recipe for getting murdered. So I, so I kind of eased up to her. I was like, babe, uh, so how are you feeling about the new house? And she was like, actually, I don't really even have peace. But the problem is we just signed and put down a non-refundable deposit. So I'm like, man. But I was willing, I was willing to walk away from $20,000 and be in the will of God then persist in something we don't have peace to do. So I, called, I just called a lady just to tell her, hey, you know, some things have changed, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to proceed with it. She said, well, now, you know that you, are, you already signed on a dotted line, and so the, the money is not refundable. I said, yeah, I understand. I said, if there's anything that can be done, I'd, I'd appreciate it, but we're not going to be able to proceed with the contract. So I had settled in my heart. Watch it. I'm choosing the will of God over money. Hung up the phone. I, I, it, was a, it was a Thursday night. I was coming to preach at church. I get in, I pull into the, in the garage having this conversation at the other building. And when I get into my office, the, the, the phone rings, and it's a, it's a lady. I answer the phone. She said, I just thought of something. She said, we deposited the check, but there's no way it cleared yet. She said, what I want you to do, call your bank and cancel that check. I said, girl, you ain't said nothing but a word. I'm going to do that before I hang up this phone. <laughs> watch this, watch this. I was willing, watch this. I'd rather be in the will of God without 20 grand than out of the will of God because I'm trying to hang on to some money. See, tragedies happen because we don't slow down enough 
to honor the will of God over all these other things. Amen? Amen. Here's another reason that sometimes people miss the mark. Because they're trying to base the will of God on the crowd. What is everybody saying? What is everybody doing? Watch this. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right. Matthew 7 says, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell. And there's a lot of people that's going through that gate. Everybody's doing it. But the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life. And only a few people find that road. See, there's a whole lot of stuff happening in our society today. And we got to pay attention, Christians, because so many Christians are just getting caught in the current of society today. So many Christians are allowing their philosophies, their minds to be shaped not by the Bible, the Word of God, not a, a, a Christian worldview. We're allowing the world to tell us what things are okay or not okay. And I'm saying here, if you want to make sure that you don't get caught in the deception of the world, then you can't base whether something is okay or not, the will of God or not, based on how many other people say it's okay. Just because the news says it's okay and entertainment says it's okay doesn't make it okay. One of the biggest things I'm watching as a pastor is this whole demonic attempt to just emasculate manhood in our society. It started years ago with what they call the dumb dad syndrome, where back in the day when, when, I, was, when I was growing up years ago, the dad on TV was a respected person. The dad was the one that everybody came to to get wisdom and advice. Nowadays, the dad you see on TV is a dumb dad. The commercials now have, have, you know, Best Buy commercials. Daddy is dumb. He can't, he's just an electronic store. He's running wild, and mama's got to come find out where dad is. It started with dumb dad syndrome. Now it's escalated to really emasculating men to where almost making like there's something wrong with being a strong man. I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying that we ought to have this bad attitude toward those who are gay or anything else, because I think that's a big part of where the church has gone wrong. I think the church has not demonstrated love toward all people. Watch this. But even in, hear me out, even in demonstrating love, the church is still responsible for standing up for truth. Because the Bible doesn't say you should know love and love will make you free. So you'll know the truth. See, people can't get free, watch this, if they don't have truth. People can't be open to truth if they don't experience love. But you got to have both. We got to have genuine love, man. We love all people, no matter, no matter what your issue is, your struggle is, no matter what your philosophy is, we got to love you right where you are. We have to love you enough, watch this, to not go with the flow of society, but actually give you some truth for God's word. Because the truth of the matter is, come on, God is the one who established men and women. And they're just pushed today, man, to even get kids. Don't, don't call them boy or girl. Wait till they're old enough to decide which one they choose. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying just because the crowd is saying it doesn't mean that God is agreeing with it. And I don't know about you. When all this is gone, I want to be standing over on the side that God was on, on everything. I do. I don't want to throw rocks at other people, but I want to be standing over on the side where God is because a lot of people are hurting, and they can't get out of their hurt if we don't love them. But they won't know which way to go if we don't give them some truth to show them the right way. Number five thing that 
gets people confused and they're trying to figure out the will of God is that they start seek, seeking after what, what we call mediums. Mediums. What do you mean by that, Pastor? What I mean is, as Christians, hear me out, we don't consult psychics. You ride down the street, walking down the, the strip down there in Orlando, don't, 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 don't go into those little spots and say psychic is here. We don't seek to have our tarot cards read. We don't seek to have our palms read. We don't follow astrology or any other supernatural influence. We don't go to some place because they claim that they can tap into the spirit of your grandmother and give you a chance as mother... Give a chance this Mother's Day to maybe hear a message from your grandmother. I'm saying to you, all those things are deceptions of the enemy. Every, every last one of them is a deception. We get our information. When, God, when we're sitting in darkness, God illuminates our spirit. He doesn't send us as some other human being to be a channel, a medium, for them to tell us what the will of God is. That, that, that means you don't need to post on your, on your Facebook status that it's a Taurus season now. <laughs> it's Taurus season. I'm just having fun with you. Uh, some of that is innocent and just fun, but the point I'm making is, watch this, we don't chase after the stars or anything else on the outside to help us figure out what the will of God is for our life. So here it is. I'm, I'm in with this. How, how should we be led then? We should be led through something we call internal peace. Yes, we can read the Bible. Yes, God can speak in an audible voice. Yes, we can hear his voice on the inside. But most times, it's just an internal peace that tells us whether or not we should move forward or not. Listen to this. Many times, the phrase, the Lord told me or the Lord spoke to me, ends up paralyzing people from being able to recognize God's direction because they end up waiting for every communication from God to come in the form of a sentence or a command or an explicit directive like we might receive from an earthly parent. Instead, God most often speaks to our spirits not in words, but in thoughts or impressions. Then our spirit speaks to us in words like, I think the Lord wants me to do this or that. We often miss the leading of the Lord by mistaking it for our own thoughts. This is how you determine and settle whether or not this job is the right one, this house is the right one, when I can't go to a scripture. It's right here. I'm going to leave you with this. Colossians 3.15, it says, And let the peace, the soul harmony which comes from Christ... Let it rule. Let it act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds. How do I know which one to take, which direction to go? The Bible says, let the peace in your heart be the umpire. I grew up playing baseball, and so you know, when, when the catcher's back there, I can't get all the way down no more, but when the catcher's back there, <laughs> as far as I'm going, <laughs> when the catcher's back there in position and the pitcher throws the pitch, it's the umpire behind them that says it's a ball or it's a strike. When the base runners run around in third base and they come sliding at home and, the, and, the, and the, the tag comes and, and the catcher makes it, it's the umpire that says safe or out. And back in the day, whatever the umpire said in that moment, that was it. I mean, you can kick all the dirt on him you want to kick on him. You can pull the base up and throw it somewhere else. If the umpire call them safe, they're safe. If they call them out, they're out. God said, let peace in your heart be your umpire. The problem is today in our walk with Christ, same as it is in sports, we got so many instant replays and so many flags. You can challenge it and call for a review that people think we can call for a review with God. 
They think you can tell God, can you, can you try that again, God? Go look one more time. What the Bible is saying is, hey, once you've prayed about it, come on. Once you've settled your heart, once you've prayed in the spirit till your mind is calm, your emotions have calmed down, you're going to end up having peace on one of the decisions you're considering. When that peace rests on that decision, the Bible says, let peace be your umpire. That's it. I'm not asking everybody their opinion. I don't care how much money I could have made. I'm going to let the peace or the lack of peace settle on whichever decision is God, and I'm going to live my life letting that peace direct me. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem right here. It's hard to recognize when you have peace when you got so many other ungodly influences in your heart. So what I'm saying to you, I'm not, not, not trying to put you in a box, not trying to condemn you, but it's going to be hard to listen to all that secular music with all the profanity and all the lewd lyrics and have all of that in your spirit regularly and just a 20 minutes of worship from Sunday morning trying to compete with that and then try to figure out what is God saying. So I'm not here to tell you what music you should or should not listen to. Your spirit will tell you. Your own heart will tell you. There's some, see, I, I listen to, uh, to, to secular music. I do. You know, you know I, we're, not, we're not sitting up have, making children to blessed assurance. You say, what do you, let me hold you tight, only for one night. That's where them three children came from. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Point I'm making is you, you can't put all that in your spirit all the time. You got to counterbalance that. You got to fill your heart more with the word of God, worship music, because then your spirit's going to be sensitive enough that you will know when you have peace about something or you'll know when you have what we call a check in my spirit. Something's not right about this. I, I know what they're saying. I know what he's telling me. They're nodding, they're checking all the right boxes, but I don't have peace in my heart. I never get on an airplane, a cruise ship, or any other thing without slowing down to ask myself, do I have peace? The way we do it, we'll text back and forth, shalom. That means, you, you, have you taken time to make sure you got peace about this? I've trained my kids. Don't take off on a plane somewhere without checking to make sure you have peace. Because if you have peace, then that plane is the safest place on planet Earth. Because God has given you his assurance. He's with you. On the ground, in the air, on the water, wherever you happen to be. If you believe that, come on, give God a shout and a praise in this place. Woo! Come on, that's good, man. Come on, shout like you believe that. Yeah! All right, every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. Please don't leave out unless you have to. If you're in this place and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. I'm not saying you're a bad person. You could actually be one of the nicest people in the room. Because being good is not a qualification for going to heaven. And some people are in hell right now because nobody loved them enough to tell them, you just can't do good works and expect to go to heaven. You say, what does it take then to, to go to heaven to be a part of God's family? The Bible says you must be born again. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you make a promise of all the stuff you'll stop doing. It means that you believe in your heart that Christ died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. And you make a decision to surrender your life to him for the rest of your days. He'll take you just like you are. However jacked up you think you are, come to him just like that. He'll take you like that. He'll change you on the inside. And then he'll take you step by step and teach you how to get better on the outside over time. 
So if you're in this room today and you are ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front of the church. I'm not going to ask you to tell us about the mistakes you've made. I want to lead you in a simple prayer right there at your seat. And if you believe this prayer with all your heart, God will come into your life right there where you are, make you brand new on the inside. So if you're in the room or if you're online, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I get to three, if you say, yes, pastor, you just described me, then when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up as high as you can. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. When I get to three, don't even look around to see who else may be raising their hand. This is personal with you and God. But be bold and courageous when I get to three and shoot your hand up saying, yes, God, I want you and you alone. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift that hand up all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over the room, hands are going up. Thank you. Thank you. Heads are still bowed. Nobody's looking around. This is private. Just you and God. Yes. All over the room, hands are up. Beautiful. Beautiful. Come on, right there in Hattiesburg. Anybody in the room there, man? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord, yeah, I'm talking to you. Just raise your hand right there where you are in that room. We're going to lead you in a simple prayer to dedicate your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I'm not here to embarrass you. We're not going to call you up here to the front. Anybody else before we pray? Say, yes, Pastor. You just described me. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else would say, something is telling me I should get in on this? That's the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and say yes to him and just slip your hand up. Right there we are. Thank you. Beautiful. Anybody else? Beautiful. All right. Anybody online? Beautiful. Just lift your hand right there at home. Every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer just loud enough for you and God to hear it. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my whole life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, get excited, Impact Church.